0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. It's a beautiful morning. I'm just uh, back from France after spending six days in in beautiful France, in Lourdes and in Montbrun, which is uh, in the Languedoc area. You may have seen some of my photos on social media. But this morning I'm back at the office. I'm going for a walk before lunchtime. And it's, oh, I love this kind of springtime weather. It's not too warm, uh, but we've got clear skies. I feel the warmth of the sun. That's, that's kind of what I like about the springtime. It's when you start to, it's not just that, that when the sun shines, it's light, but you can feel it on your, on your skin. And it's doing really wonders to my overall mood and health. Although I have to say that this past week has been one of my best weeks of the year so far. And it was a wonderful combination of both work and leisure and almost a spiritual retreat for me. So what I want to do in this episode is give you a recap of uh, of my experiences in France and also some of the lessons that I've learned over the span of just barely 5 days if I include the travel. It's been So I left uh, last Sunday after mass and I arrived in the evening in Toulouse, which is uh, one of the bigger cities in the south of France. And from there, I took the train to Lourdes. This is uh, this uh, place. This small village, actually, at the foot of the Pyrenees, where uh, the Virgin Mary appeared to Saint Bernadette at the grotto. And it's it's a place that I've visited many times in my life, and it's played a pretty pivotal role in, in some of the choices that I made in my life. Um, I can highlight two moments. The first one was when I was only 17 years old and I just started to rediscover my faith and it, it, it really fascinated me. And I felt that I needed to do something more than just going to church on Sunday. And my, my mother actually sent me on this youth pilgrimage to Lourdes together with my brother and it's there during that week that I discovered my vocation to the priesthood and never really doubted uh, that vocation after that moment. So that was the first experience in my life that was life-changing. The second one also took place in Lourdes or at least started in Lourdes and that was the day that I started my pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela in Spain and I I decided to start at the grotto in Lourdes and so uh, last Monday I was back at that grotto and uh, uh, I was filming mass, of uh, there was mass at the grotto um, f- and, and, and a number of Dutch pilgrimages were gathered there, also the bishop of uh, one of our southern dioceses was there and i loved just it, the sun was shining just like today it was a kind of a nice springtime morning just, just to be able to be there at that time and thinking back of what that pilgrimage to santiago has meant to me and how much it uh, was kind of a, a a renewal of of my life as a priest i was super happy and super grateful to be able to to be there again so the thing is, when I went to France, um, I wanted to keep things super simple as you know, I'm uh, working on a number of episodes for my TV show here in the Netherlands, and what I wanted to do differently compared to all the other years and I've been doing this work for ten years now in, te- in television was that I wanted to take advantage of these summer months it's not even really summer it's uh, it's may but to to take advantage of the beautiful weather, usually beautiful weather around these 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 months, and also less, less pressure, less work in the parishes and in, 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 in media in general to film ahead and to make sure that once I go on vacation, all the episodes for September, October, November, December are done and filmed. And so I wanted to go to France to film two stories. The first one was... I knew that around this time of the year a lot of Dutch groups would travel to Lourdes. And been, it's been, been—it's been, I think, about five years since the last time that we did an episode about Lourdes. And, uh, but I had really... I was kind of struggling with, well, okay, well, what kind of story am I going to tell? So first I thought, maybe I'm going to tell the story of St. Bernadette. Never done that before. Just kind of visit the places where she lived and tell her story. But then that would become a little bit too historical and too much uh, like an educational episode and those are usually pretty difficult to make because you need to have people that can tell that story. Since I'm also filming and directing, can't do everything myself. So I quickly discarded that idea and it ended up um, just a few days before I would leave for France uh, without really a specific idea but at the same time, I was like, "This is Lourdes. It's super visual. There's always something going on, and I'm going to meet a lot of Dutch pilgrims. So, you know, I'll, 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 I'll figure something out. <laughs> I'll just wing it." <laughs> but it happened to be that I got a call from uh, from my sister that my father had some serious health issues. So he's been, he's ha- had some. Uh, uh, problems, some vascular problems in his legs that need to be treated. And it has been diagnosed at a very late stage. So there are some risks at the current situation. So I, tried, I decided to visit my parents first and to kind of turn it, it a little bit into a more personal story. So I told my parents I'd go to Lourdes to pray for them and uh, to light a candle. A very simple kind of premise for, for, for the episode. But it, Made it more personal, made it easier for me to tell that story. And then in Lourdes, I interviewed a number of pilgrims and uh, talked with them about certain themes that are kind of related to the situation that my parents are in. Most of the pilgrims that go to Lourdes are um, of the age of my parents, or a little bit younger, or a bit a little bit older. A lot of them have uh, health issues or other. Um, difficult situations in their lives and they go to Lourdes to find new strength and to um, to ask for uh, for for heavenly support in a certain way and so since my parents are uh, currently very worried about uh, the treat- treatment of my father's leg and everything and they're not able to travel uh, my father can barely walk as it is right now um, I, I, I think I, I made the right call to just go there, tell the story of my parents and of their struggles, and then kind of mirror that with the stories of the pilgrims that I met in Lourdes. And lo and behold, that went above and beyond I, uh, what I expected. I had some right at the get-go after Mass, even the Mass itself. I wasn't even aware that all the Dutch pilgrims would be there on the first day of my, of my, uh, the first full day of my pilgrimage there. So I was, I, I was walking towards the sanctuary and uh, browsing through my Facebook feed. And all of a sudden I see um, an update from a priest, uh, one of the priests that I follow from my diocese. And he was accompanying one of the Dutch groups. And he said, well, you know what, um, you, if you want to follow mass, he was, he was messaging his parishioners, if you want to follow the mass of our group at the grotto, you can go to this URL and you can watch it live. And that's when I figured, well, wait a minute, that's going to be in five minutes from now. So, I I really um, uh, went as quickly as I could to the sacristy near the grotto. It's on the right side. And uh, and I I saw that there was also the bishop was there. And so I asked him, can I film during the mass? Oh, sure, yes, no problem. And I interviewed him afterwards. And then um, they went for coffee. There was a, also a group of... Uh, the Maltese Order, they had their international pilgrimage, they do that every every year, and so the Dutch part of that group, um, together with the other Dutch pilgrims, sat together in the sunshine, in the morning, under the trees, uh, for a cup of coffee, and I immediately had a, a number of really good interviews, and uh, spoke with a couple, uh, both of a very advanced age, and them. The the husband had been a volunteer um, in Lourdes for many years, but he had been recently diagnosed with, uh, um, I think lymphoma, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, um, beyond recovery, and so this may very well have been his last pilgrimage to Lourdes. So I talked with them about about that, also about their their connection with Lourdes, and then I followed them throughout the day. And that was touching and very, very beautiful. And then late at night when uh, the, uh, there's always a, a, a prayer gathering at the basilica or in front of the basilica on the square with uh, thousands of candles, is a beautiful sight. And then uh, on the, uh, at the same time on the other side of the, of the river that flows... Um, Near the grotto, there is a place where you can light candles. And so I lit a candle for my parents. And visually and also in terms of content, I had everything in one day. Which meant that the next day, I actually had a day off. Because I would leave, I I decided to go to the second appointment in France only on Wednesday. So I would have time to, you know, not time to film and also to, to... find the story because I wasn't sure that, I, that in one day I could, could film everything but I could and so the second day I was kind of uh, wondering okay what, what am I going to do um, and there was this nagging voice in the back of my mind but you, you should do holy things you're here on pilgrimage and you should go and pray and I don't know participate in all the various uh, activities that other pilgrims participate in but at the same time I felt this pull of going on a walk and I decided to do to do that to follow my heart and uh to 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 walk the first the first few miles of my of the pilgrimage that I did to Santiago 2 years ago and to walk that first stage again. And again the weather was fantastic and every Every once in a while, we'd come across one of those places that I remembered so vividly, and all the memories flooded back. And it was almost uh, um, kind of part of the retreat to go and, and retrace my footsteps at the beginning of that journey. And it brought back also a lot of the gratitude that I felt afterwards for that life-changing uh, Camino. So um was a really fantastic day i've i was like oh thank you lord that i was able to film everything on day one and that now i have an entire day where i can just walk around in nature and and meditate and think and at one point i even streamed something on youtube just to show people the mountains and the the oh the the environment over there is so beautiful and sharing it makes it even more i don't know I, I enjoy it even more when I, when I look through the, kind of the eyes of the, the people that were following me on YouTube at that moment. And so on Wednesday, the weather turned and uh, it was cloudy and there had been some rain and uh, the occasional thunder and lightning in the distance. Oh, I forgot to tell on the next day, on Tuesday evening, I went to visit a French doctor who lives in Lourdes and uh, that I met... In those first in that first week of my Camino, and who actually helped me uh, recover from an injury, a pretty serious injury that I had because I had forced myself too much in those early days and uh, since he was a doctor, he gave me advice on uh, how to make sure that that wouldn't turn into a serious inflammation, and he um, committed himself to walking with me for at least a week and then at some point in, in Spain, he, uh, he needed to go back home. And he finished his Camino the year after. But we had lost uh, touch. And so I, I was able, his email didn't work. I was able to find his telephone number. And I visited him and we had uh, dinner together. And uh, it, was, it was just fun to meet one of those fellow pilgrims after two years. And it's incredible how quickly time passes by even though those memories are still so extremely vivid that it seems as if we walked that camino just a year ago. Oh, it's beautiful here. This is uh, the little uh, swamp that is not far from where I from from the office I used to say where I live, but I don't live here anymore in this part of the city. And so I'm walking now on this uh, wooden path. Slightly elevated above the swamp, and I'm surrounded on left, on the left, on the right, by all sorts of plants and trees. And there's some ducks usually also in the water here. There's a pond that goes even partially underneath where I'm walking right now. And uh, also on Wednesday, I went to the international mass, because I also wanted to uh pray for uh for all of you and for all the intentions that people had entrusted to me and uh that is in a, in a huge basilica it's kind of like an underground thing <laughs> it's uh made in the 70s i think and it's all in concrete um, but you got to imagine this huge like elliptical type of uh, church with uh Thousands and thousands of pilgrims from almost any country in the world that you can imagine, and the entire mass is celebrated in multiple languages. And that particular morning, there was a bishop from from Poland, I think, who celebrated in German, and the, some readings in French. And this the the ah it was a was a very cool uh, experience. And then I took the train, planning on going to uh, a. a town in a railway station not far from the little village in the Languedoc where I would film my second, my second episode. And uh, I, I bought a ticket and then the entire station at Lourdes was abandoned and empty and there was no one there who could give me any information on how to get there. So I just looked, looked at the website and I discovered that, wait a minute, there is no train. There is no way to get there. Turns out that exactly on that day they were finishing uh, construction work on that particular uh, trajectory between the city of Toulouse and uh, that village that was at least an hour and a half uh, by train away from Toulouse on the on the east side of Toulouse. They said they already I had already bought my ticket and I didn't get a warning like well that train actually doesn't doesn't ride today. <laughs> so I was really miffed about that. Plus you know what am I going to do so I called up Father Theo that I was going to follow for uh, for uh, the the last the second half of my uh stay in France and uh, he was like oh I'll just pick you up no problem and so he uh that's what he did and I spent 3 days in the most amazing you know postcard picture perfect type of french landscape surrounded by vineyards the entire area there is a wine is wine country and 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 these these vineyards are now starting to grow so everything had this beautiful light green color and there're no grapes of course that's for much later this year but you could already see the small beginnings of the of the grapes and in this valley That is surrounded by hills or small mountains. Most, I I think we'd call it big hills, okay? So there was this huge valley, and in the center of that valley is a small village called Montbrun-Le Corbiere. And about, I would say, three, four kilometers away from the village, literally in the middle of those vineyards, is this very ancient chapel, 11th century chapel. And some of the elements like the Baptismal font is is even older; it dates back to the eighth century. That's how old Catholicism, Christianity, is in France. And uh, it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous view. That is where this uh, this Dutch priest now has been living for a year. So he was a parish priest, just like me, and uh, a happy one, for that matter. And his parish. Was, was in very good health lots of families, lots of initiatives and he was also one of the priests that regularly would be on television for the televised mass and so a lot of people in my country know him very kind man, he's a little bit older than I am I think he's 59 now, I'm 51 so that's an 8 year difference but it still feels like someone from my generation and about two, two and a half years ago, he was on vacation in exactly that region. He loves, just like me, loves France, loves the French culture, French spirituality. So he was staying at a small house there for, for a week or so, and, uh, and he was walking. And at one point he sees this, va- this valley and the, that small chapel, and it makes him super emotional. And all of a sudden he feels, almost, almost hears a voice that says, I want you to stay here. Um, and his initial, impre- his initial feeling, of course, is, well, sure, I love it here, but I'm a priest in a parish in the Netherlands. And, well, I have my work and I have my people and my house and my responsibilities. So he kind of pushed it away and then uh, several nights he wakes up in the middle of the night because he hears a voice and the voice repeats in French the same the same call like, I want you to stay here rest ici um, and it's so strong and it's so vivid that he starts to realize that this may actually be more than just something that he dreamt or uh, perhaps something that is coming from his, his sub- subconscious. He feels a call to stay there. And he, he was already in, 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 a, in a process of, of uh, turning more towards prayer. He liked to wake up early and uh, spend long times in silence. And also started to feel more and more how difficult it is to live that kind of more contemplative lifestyle, in combination with a modern parish in the Netherlands, where you have lots of churches, lots of parishioners, and that church is also in crisis, because well, we have a a huge wave of secularism, and it's affecting the numbers, (laughs) and so as a priest, you're not just a pastor. You're also a manager. You also have to somehow guide that process of shrinking and uh, changing your ways because you can't just do what you've been doing for the past 30 years. You don't have the people anymore. So, after praying a lot and talking with priests and monks, and he discerns that... It is truly God who is calling him to become a hermit, to actually go to France, to that that same valley where he felt this very strong call that it it was right there that God wanted him, that he decided to make the jump and to announce to his bishop first and then to his parish that he would abandon his life as a parish priest and would uh, move to France to live there as a hermit. Now, you can imagine that that, of course, was a huge shock for his parishioners, because he was very loved, and uh, probably his bishop was pretty surprised as well. But they already had seen so many changes in him, and uh, that that it didn't come as a total surprise. However, there was certainly a lot of mourning about losing someone that was so... Uh, so likeable and such a good pastor of his parish but he did it anyway so he arrives there in France and uh, at first he doesn't even have a place to stay so he rents uh, that same vacation house that he'd been staying in during his vacation that's expensive and you can't live there for an entire year and almost on those very early days he gets an offer of someone who lives in this small in this small village of a house um puts it on sale for almost nothing i mean compared to Dutch prices it is a it's more than a bargain i mean it is dirt cheap. The thing is, the house is super small, and of course, since he doesn't have a job as a priest anymore, he has no income, and so he since he has now fifty nine years old, he could live on a very tiny small pension pension, but definitely not enough. To, for him to uh, to buy a house, he didn't have any, you know, considerable cha- uh, savings. Just like you know, as priests, we don't we, we make a little bit more than the minimum wage, but it's uh, it's certainly not enough to save up for a house. And so, with, with the aid of his brother, he's able to buy that tiny, small house. But it is in a very bad state. It was owned by people who used it as a vacation home. And kind of really neglected it. So it is cold in the winter. There is no kitchen. Absolutely. It has two rooms. And he showed it to me. Um, So like the the door. When you walk through the door. You are in the first room. There is no hallway. Nothing. I mean the entire thing. Has a table. Has a chair. And a small desk. And that's it. And then there's a tiny staircase. It goes upstairs. And there is a slightly bigger room. Um, that has a, a one closet on one side of the room and um, he's got a, a bed so it's kind of an L shape but, and that's about it and there, there was a shower when, I, when he showed me around um, but that wasn't even there when he arrived so he's been living there almost like as if he was camping uh, preparing his meals on a small... Stove where he could just put one pot and it was super cold in the winter and then he went to this chapel he asked for permission to the mayor to to pray in that chapel because in France uh, the older churches are all owned by the state and that chapel hadn't been used for years because, well, there is a, a parish priest in that village and he's got his own parish church also very small I mean, we're talking about a village of 300 people and that is the total population at, ma- at the maximum. And it's usually during the summertime. In the wintertime, there's only half of those <laughs> that live in that village. So super small, super simple. The mayor gives him permission to go pray in that church. However, that chapel is so, um, so run down and old that in the wintertime, when he starts his, his journey there... Um, it, it The temperatures in the church are below zero, but he felt that he had to pray there and so that 's what he did you know six, seven times a day, celebrated mass there, and trying to protect himself against a cold, but it was almost impossible. The windows were all broken; there was only one window that was intact, and so he asked for help to but the local you know the the, the mayor and, the, and and his uh, local committee were not really interested in in, in in helping out and in restoring that church, and so and then, above all, in addition to that, they tried to burglar the church. So once they saw that the their, the church was in use again, um, they tried to force the door. It's this old medieval wooden door, and they used a huge crucifix that was had a like a, a concrete foot to literally tried to smash the door so one morning he arrives there to pray and he sees that the crucifix is at the side completely destroyed and the door has considerable damage they weren't able to force the door but uh, nevertheless he had to ask again go to the mayor and can i have like a security system in the church well we don't have we don't have money for that Uh, no 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 it's not necessary so he paid it out of his own pocket (laughs) stuff like that unbelievable he had to cl- keep cleaning everything by himself. No one came when he was celebrating Mass there. Only a few visitors from time to time from the Netherlands. Family and friends who just wanted to make sure that he was okay. So those, th- that first year was a really a huge test of his resolve. And there were many times that he, he was like, well, what am I doing here? Have I made the right decision? and every time that he started to doubt he felt this new again this this renewal of the call like i want you to stay here this is where you're supposed to be and strangely enough he felt very much at peace and it, it felt, sounds superficial but it felt good but oftentimes god will confirm um his his ideas or his plans by giving by letting you feel that this is the, this is what he wants. And so it feels you're at peace. As when you're getting angry or frustrated or there's a lot of tension, that is a sign that you have to discern, discern more and perhaps make different choices. But when you feel at peace and, and your prayer starts to blossom and uh, you're happy, that is a very important sign that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And so then this Dutch priest arrives from the Netherlands with a camera. And he's like, I would like to film a portrait of your life now that you've been here for a year. And uh, because a lot of people in the Netherlands know him from TV also. And I I was fascinated by that idea that someone had the courage to listen to God's call, even though rationally it was one of the, one of the strangest things that he could have done. And also, in, in the situation in the Netherlands with the lack of vocations and the lack of priests, to to have the courage to step away, not because it's, you know, the, perhaps the, the most efficient thing to do, but because he wanted to be obedient to God's voice, to God's call, and had discerned that this was what he had to do, no matter what. And so, I was... On the way from Toulouse to to the village, we talked a lot. And I, he asked me about my vocation story and about my life as a priest. So I was sharing how I discovered my vocation in Lourdes. And he's like, wait, I also was called here in Lourdes. <laughs> and that sounds like a copy of my vocation story. I was like, okay. And then I was talking about you know my experiences at the Camino and what I discovered about... Um, especially being able to let go of that holy (laughs) conviction that I always had to be useful and that everything, every minute of my life had to be as efficient as possible, as productive as possible, and that I was actually projecting my own fear of being um, not good enough, And, and that I had turned that into basically a a stress-causing lifestyle that was not in accordance to what God wanted me to do and that I discovered during the Camino that the the secret of the Camino is you walk on the Camino on the on the way and Jesus says, I am the way. So as long as you walk on the, the path on the Camino, you are with Jesus and that is what he wants. And all the rest is grace. All the rest. I mean the only thing that he asks you is as a priest is to be with him. And it's only then that you can be useful for other people as well. So that was my big eye-opening insight along the Camino and of course still struggle from time to time to apply that and to stay faithful to what I discovered, namely that my this the the meaning of my life as a priest is not in the amount of work that I do, the hours that I work, the amount of podcasts that I record or t- television shows that I edit. But it's about being with Jesus and walking on his on his way and, and 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 be in his presence. That that is that is the beginning of everything. And if I lose that, because I have the feeling that I have more important things to do, that's where you derail so I was sharing that and he was like nodding and like I recognize that, I recognize like almost every aspect of what I shared with him he's like, that is a copy of my own life, so it was I knew him beforehand, but not that well we'd met a couple of times there's a school here on the left side, children are playing outside because it's lunchtime and other people that work in the city are going for a stroll here in the park. And I'm heading back to the, the office because it's, uh, it's lunchtime. And uh, Martin and Inga are probably also hungry. So anyway, it felt as if I had found a brother. That's truly how it felt. And um, his lifestyle, of course, as a as a hermit is so different. It's the total opposite of my life. And yet... I felt this is, this, is, this is a soulmate. So weird. And um, so I was thinking, okay, I, I just I, I want to... I don't want to turn this into an episode that is about me. Like, oh, I am going to try to become a hermit and uh, try to do a vlog thing. Like, oh, I'm here in France and I'm talking to... you. Know. I wanted to make sure that the viewer would feel as if, as if they are there alone with Father T- Theo. So I said, I'm not going to feel myself, but l- can I follow you for the entire day? Knowing very well that his life is anything but spectacular. It's just praying and doing a little bit of work, cooking and eating and praying and sleeping. <laughs> that's it. So I was like, I don't know if this is going to be visually uh, feasible to, to turn this into something that's also... Interesting to watch, and where there is a certain development, also because you know, not much happens. So he said, Sure. And um, I was like, Can I pray? Can I kind of film your morning prayer? Yeah, sure, no problem. And so he, he changed kind of from yeah, praying in the church. He, now he prays his office, his divine office, which is kind of the, this regular prayer dur- during the day. So it's got morning prayer, uh, prayer of the, It's like Hobbit Meals. Think hobbit meals instead of meals, do prayer. That's kind of the liturgy of the hours. So anyway, is it? sure. And I'll, uh, he's now praying his office, his divine office, in, in his cell. So in that small house in the village. And I was like, okay, it's probably going to be early. Uh, what time do you start thinking in my mind? Oh, it's probably going to be at 7 o'clock or something like that. It's like, oh, well, normally I wake up at 330 <laughs> okay, 3.30. So I wake up at 3.30 as well in the middle of the day, middle of the night, because I wanted to also film. The, the star. He's, he told me, like, I, I first need coffee. And I may have the vocation of a hermit, but it doesn't mean that I, 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 can't, I can pray for hours without coffee and without breakfast. So normally I prepare breakfast, then I pray, and then at half past eight I, I go to the church and celebrate mass, etc., so, three thirty in the morning. It was pitch dark. Even the village has barely got any electricity, hardly any lanterns. So, very challenging to film something outside in, the, in, in this dark. So I had to. I was taking this new camera with me, the Canon M50, which was a, a delight to use. It is only a third of the weight of the. Canon a t d that i was logging around in the past, and even that is a relatively small camera for television production. the m50 um, fortunately i had bought a a small pancake lens a 20, 22 millimeter lens with a pretty big aperture i think it's uh f20 f two that 's in a lot of light, but even then. I was standing outside, it was pretty cold and I wanted to film the kind of the lit windows of his house and had to reduce the frame rate to about like 5 frames per second so I was very glad there was no movement uh, there were no, you know, people walking around or anything, because you would have noticed it immediately, but I could still capture kind of the feel of that, that like it's the middle of the night no one is up except for this priest and um and he prays in the morning in his chair, very simple, nothing spectacular. He sings all the prayers himself. He's got a really nice singing voice and also uh, sings the, the melodies of a, of, a, of a monastery where he has done his, how would you call that, like the first few months of discernment. And it's, a, I think it's a Benedictine monastery, I'm not sure. Pradine. So when he said that, I was like, but I know Pradine very well. We've been there several times with the other priests that I usually accompany on vacation. And every time we're in France and we're in the neighborhood, we, we spend some time with the sisters there. And I even remember celebrating Mass on Sunday for the sisters because there was no other priest available. And I was the one who spoke French the best. So, and he was like, no way, you know Pradeen. <laughs> so I recognized the melodies and everything. And then um, uh, at one point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just a distraction now with my camera. I'd film everything. So I'll just go back to my, uh, to my own home. Oh, by the way, uh, just awesome. He's like, so do you have a place to stay? I'm like, no. But just if you know a bridge that I can sleep under, I don't need much. He's like, I'm going to ask uh, my, uh, the lady that, that lives in the house opposite of my house. And maybe she'll, uh, she'll offer you a, a place to stay. It turns out the lady was going on a, on a trip. And she just gave him the keys. like, oh, the, the, that person can just use my house. Just use whatever he wants. So I had this huge French house. It was like five times the size of the cell of Father Theo. And uh, really, one of those old French houses that I think the house is from the 17th century. And it is like a hobbit house. Everything's irregular and it's, you know, nothing is, nothing. It's all built by hand and, and, and so different from the kind of houses that you have here. So all of a sudden, I'm, I'm there in France and I live there as if I had been, been living there for most of my life. And so I go back to the house. And, uh, and then I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to film the sunrise in the middle of the vineyards. So I took the camera and I kind of I went to the, these vineyards in, in, the, in the area surrounding the chapel and, and waited for sunrise. If you've been following me on Facebook or Instagram, you, you may have seen the photos where I'm just anxiously waiting for the sunrise. And then, of course, you only have a few moments, like the momentum is very short where you can get that perfect shot of the sun and i wanted the rays of the sun that are really kind of almost orange when, when it just is above the horizon i wanted to have those rays hitting the the leaves of the vines and everything i was able to get the most amazing shots and that camera is just so incredible and I was quickly changing between the various lenses because I've got a... Well, I only have two lenses. I've got the very sensitive lens, but you can't zoom with that one. And then I have the kit lens, which is super simple, but still enables you to capture a slightly larger field of view. And I was just having a blast. And so at around 8, I think, I knock on his door again, and we go to the chapel. And I, I, first day, I couldn't celebrate. I couldn't can't celebrate Mass. Because I needed to film everything. But I was just struck by, again, the serenity of that Mass. That chapel is completely empty. There's this one stained glass window, tiny window above the altar. And he has started to celebrate at orientem, so in the direction of the east. So not facing the benches, but facing in the other direction. And that's where you really understand why this celebration at Orientum is so beautiful because this, the morning sun was shining through that small window. And you had this, this beam of light shining on the altar. It was absolutely stunning. I was filming that and I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. This is going to be so gorgeous on TV. And then uh, filmed much more that day. And what is beautiful is that since it is someone who lives such a different life everything he says is interesting because he can tell me about his discoveries, about the struggles that he had, about the insights the things that he learned and I was filming and filming and filming and at one point he was like you still don't have enough? I was like, well, I think I have enough for about three you know, theater movies, three blockbusters about three hours a piece I'd filmed so much in one day that I decided on the way back that I'm just gonna make two episodes dedicated to this, and uh, had to come up with a little bit of a structure because it's a lot interview-based. But I filmed a lot of what they call B-roll, so it means you film details and and just the you know the nature and 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 the, the chapel, and so there's a lot of things that I can use to to illustrate and sometimes just accompany the the spoken word. And then also fortunately for me there were a few tiny little things that he did. So he had to go to the to the office of the mayor for some permissions and to inquire about uh, restoration. So I, I went with him there. And it's this this very small, you know, French village life. But that 's the charm of it it doesn 't have to be because his life is very simple, and so it gives you sort of a it, it transports you in another another world and Then the next day we went to a supermarket, which he dreaded he he really dislikes shopping, and the reason is that there he says there's always noise. He even explained that he wasn 't wearing his habit when he was going to the to the supermarket because. He wouldn't be able to do his groceries because people would want to talk with him and have all sorts of pastoral conversations. And he says, I'm I'm not a parish priest. I am a hermit. And so I want to keep my shopping business short. So those small things that happened and then just I filmed a lot of him walking in the countryside. It was amazing, amazing. And then uh, in the airplane on my way back I kind of devised a little structure create a small cliffhanger so that you know it's kind of this, this how is this quest for silence and for me while I was filming that it, it had this, this effect on me that I was also getting calmer and calmer and, and, and started to enter that, that prayer, prayerful atmosphere there and also because I was filming long shots like that where nothing happens you just see you know birds and you see, you listen you hear the 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 sounds of nature and it just calmed me down so much and then the next two days I did come celebrate with Father Theo in that chapel and I was on a retreat and one of the best ones I've had and I shared a lot with Father Theo, we had lots of conversations that I did not record, and it was in many ways um, exactly what I needed, and it did a tremendous. Uh, it, it, it was a a very very beautiful week, first pilgrimage to Lourdes, and now these days of quiet and prayer. And yes, I was working, but the work was almost. It was almost a pretext to just be there. I just wanted to be there. And um, one of my biggest takeaways is, again, this, uh, this confirmation of, of uh, the fact that my, my life as a priest benefits most from making room for God himself, opening my heart, opening my, my calendar also for something else than just work. So I, as you, as you know, I, I decided to, for the time of Lent to reduce my time uh, that I normally would work in media uh, to only 50%. So on Mondays I work a full day, tomorrow, Tuesday I'll only work four hours, Wednesday day off, Thursday is a full day and Friday uh, is also day off. And then I have my duties in the parish and that's it. And at first, it was a tremendous bar. It felt like a gamble. Like this is, I I won't be able to do what I do now. I'm already stressing out about the 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 lack of time, working more than full time. And now I'm going to reduce that by half. And I've discovered over these weeks of Lent that it makes you make it helps you make the right choices, and to outsource more, and also to trust God's providence that he will find other ways because he wants me to prioritize him in my life instead of the work and so again I felt this confirmation that I am not going to change that I'm not going to change back anymore I will slow down work less so that God can work more through me and uh, I think that is exactly what 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 I have to do I'm here at the office again so that is that is what I wanted to share with you. It was a wonderful week. I did um, I did record a small, simple vlog at the chapel. So you may want to check it out on on YouTube. Uh, it kind of replaces my failed attempts to stream from France because that was very hard. But uh, it is uh, it, it gives you a nice impression. It wasn't unfortunately it was not filmed on the nicest day. It was kind of overcast, but still. You want to take a look at that chapel, and I kind of explain the situation. And you don't get to see Father Theo in that vlog because he was praying at home. <laughs> and I'd, I'd pestered him for so many hours the day before that I didn't dare to uh, to let him uh, appear in, in the vlog. But I may put something together later with uh, some, more, some more of the footage that I shot. All right, it's time for me to go to lunch. Thanks for listening, and thanks to those of you that support me on Patreon patreon.com slash father it is a. Uh, it's thanks to you that i can do this wonderful work and i am super grateful for that all right talk to you guys later bye bye